This is the final instalment in Bible Society's G2 podcast, and if you've been following this series, you'll have heard feminist scholars wrestle with some pretty uncomfortable biblical texts which speak of rape and violence against women. My guests haven't always taken the same academic approach and have come from a range of faith and non-faith backgrounds. Bible Society isn't aligned to any single denomination and doesn't necessarily endorse every position taken here, but these podcasts have been offered to help listeners engage with themes in parts of the Bible that are too important to ignore. I'm joined again for a final reflection on some of the issues raised by the Reverend Dr Helen Painter, who opened the series for us and who's Director for the Centre for the Study of Bible and Violence at Bristol Baptist College. Helen, in the sequels to two of the narratives we looked at, there are stories of the rape of many more unnamed women. And I suppose the question many listeners may want the answer to is, how much more of this stuff is there? I think there's a number of places um, where the rape of women or the abuse of women is either implicit or explicit. We've perhaps looked at the most obvious ones, but there are others. Um, Esther would be a good example, um, in case um, listeners need reminding. The story of Esther is a story of a, of a young girl who is has already had a traumatic um, start to her life where she's lost her closest family. She lives with a guardian. She's snatched from that guardian without any suggestion of consent, taken to the king's palace um, and groomed there um, for sexual purposes. There's no other way of looking at it. It's often told as a, a sweet little story of a beauty pageant, but it's an it's a appalling story. Groomed along with a, a host of other young girls. Absolutely, who are nameless, but there's, there's a lot of them, and they're looked after by the king's eunuchs, which in itself says something about the, um, the structural violence of the situation. So why is it that we haven't read it as a story of grooming, do you think? I mean, I never read it that way. It, it, was, just, it was a pretty little story. I think that's exactly right. That's how it's viewed. She she wins the beauty contest. She's the one who pleases the king. Let's look at that, what it is, though. She's the one who pleases the king in bed um, and makes it to be queen. But we kind of skip over the, the grimy bits and, oh, here's this lovely story of this Jewish girl who becomes queen and then saves the nation. Another example is the story of Deborah, where the routine um, use of rape as a weapon of war is hinted at. Um, And really we see this in Deborah's song after the victory over Sisera. And what happens is she's singing this song and she is imagining the conversations that are happening in the families of the defeated nation. And she's imagining the, the women who are now widows but don't yet know it, having a conversation among themselves saying... Um, where have they got to? Why are they so late coming back from battle? And then replying to one another, oh, well, that's all right. They're getting they're getting their spoils. They're a womb or two for every man is the language that is used. And that is explicitly referring to um, rape as a an automatic consequence of military victory. Can I just see that? Where's the, what's the phrase? Right. Uh, judges, sorry. Here we are. Out of the window she peered, the mother of Sisera wailed through the lattice. Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why tarry the hoofbeats of his chariots? Her wisest princess's answer, indeed, she answers herself. Have they not found and divided the spoil, a womb or two for every man? Spoil of dyed materials for Sisera. Gosh. I guess if you're a woman in Serbia or Syria or Rwanda, you might read that text with much more alertness and recognition well there's so many examples aren't there within our own lifetimes Um, the use of rape as both um, a means of oppression 
um, a means of expression of power, of, of celebration, of victory, um, but also rape as a tool of genocide because what rape does when children result from rape is it, if you like, it dilutes the ethnicity of the people who are subject to that rape. So it is surprising maybe then, given the use, uh, our knowledge about the use of, of rape in war, that we, we can read that and, and not see what's there. I think sometimes we we aren't reading these texts in our churches very often. I think that's one of the issues. Um, and when we do read them, we're perhaps looking for little pietistic take-homes that will make me feel good today or um, reading them conditioned by the way we were taught them at Sunday school without thinking more carefully. I think one of um, your contributors, Shoshana, spoke about reading in the gaps. Um, and I think we I absolutely agree with her. We need to notice the gaps in the story because actually it's often in those gaps that these brutal events are taking place. Another thing that you may remember Shoshana saying is that uh, we have a choice when we look at these texts. We can either sit and weep when we read them or we can find a redemptive reading in them. You, I think, are always wanting to find that redemptive reading. Yes, I want to say, where is God? What is God saying about this? How is this text part of the the theology of of this book and therefore um, the whole Bible? When God is silent, what is he saying with his silence? Um, when God is speaking, what are we to learn from that? So, yes, I want to read it as, as to hear God's voice in it. And as a Christian reader, um, I want to read the whole of Scripture, the um, Old Testament and New Testament together to hear God's voice. It's easy to underestimate these texts because they're ancient as being rather simple, perhaps um, crudely written, and they really aren't. These are very subtle, skillfully written texts, and we need to pay as much attention to that as we would with any modern, skillfully written literary text. We've only considered one text from the New Testament in this series. What does that tell us about the different concerns of the New Testament and the literary genres we find in it? The way the Hebrew Bible was composed and the way the New Testament was composed are quite different and the range of um, concerns is quite different. So the New Testament was written over a period of 100 or so years really um, and has quite a, um, a limited number of societal settings and a relatively um, limited number of theological ideas because it is developing those in, in great detail. Of course they're immensely important but it is very focused on those ideas. The Old Testament was written over a much wider period of time um, and emerges from many, many different social settings and is narrating um, history and narrating social history um, in a way that the New Testament isn't. So the, the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible is um, necessarily going to show us stories that don't fall within the purview of the New Testament. I mean, there weren't any perhaps obvious stories in the New Testament to consider. Um, but if we were going to do a series on She Too and New Testament, would we have the material? I think we could do something similar because there are New Testament texts that have been misused to oppress women and even to um, attempt to justify violence against them. And an example would be um, in Ephesians, where Paul says, Wives, submit to your husbands, and that's been used to um, persuade women to remain in abusive relationships and abusive marriages. 
Um, the other example from one of the letters to Timothy, where Paul says, um, I don't permit a woman to speak in the church. I think there are ways of reading that, um, of understanding that in its own context. Um, and it, But it has been used to um, keep women silent in churches, prevent women from preaching, teaching, and it's uh, certainly been used um, to hurt women. Returning to the stories that we considered, obviously this podcast is part of an attempt to bring them to a wider audience. But how else might you do this? Are they really suitable for sort of sermons in churches? I really think they are. I mean, I don't think I'd recommend it for someone who's doing what I call a hit and run sermon, you know, itinerant preaching. But for someone who is um, has pastoral responsibility for a church, who knows the congregation, is trusted by the congregation, I think it's really important that these stories are used because I think they um, give air to these very difficult issues which are still ongoing today I think they allow people who have experienced this sort of abuse to express what they have experienced it allows us as a congregation to lament these situations it sensitizes us as a church to these issues it will probably challenge some of the abusers inside the churches themselves maybe well may that be indeed um what was the last sermon you preached um where you brought one of these texts to the attention of the congregation? The story is that I went to a conference, a day conference, on rape culture and religion. And it was on a Friday, and I hadn't written my sermon at that point. Um, My sermon was on Psalm 94. So on my way to the conference, I printed out this text, um, thinking if I get any spare time, I might mull on it a little bit. And when I got to the conference, I... Printed, I put the printed version of this text on the desk in front of me. And then I sat and listened to a series of papers speaking about rape, violation, pornography, child abuse. Um, and as I listened to this conference, and it was a very difficult, painful day, this text was sitting looking at me, and I kept glancing down and seeing it. Let me just grab that, let me get the actual quotation. And it contains these words, speaking about um, evildoers. It says, they crush your people, they kill the widow and the sojourner, murder the fatherless. And here's the key verse that kept catching my attention all day. And they say the Lord does not see, the God of Jacob does not perceive. And then it goes on to say he absolutely sees. And as I sat in that conference and this text kept looking at me and I kept looking at it, I knew that I had to speak about that um, the following Sunday. So on that Sunday, I cleared the church of children. I said, all the children must go out to the groups today. And I began by saying, this is going to be a really difficult sermon to preach. And then I spoke about pornography and I spoke about child abuse. And one of the things that one of the themes that had emerged in the conference was how abusive pornography is. And I came back to this text again and again. They think God does not see. And I'm sure it was a very difficult sermon to hear, but it opened up conversations. I had people speaking to me about their own experiences. It opened up space for the processing of grief, for um, discussion about what forgiveness does and doesn't mean in those situations. It was difficult. It was painful. It would have been easy to have run away from it, but I think it was the right thing to do. The church is have a homelessness Sunday they have a racial justice Sunday I I don't know how these things get decided but do you think we should be lobbying for a sort of sexual justice Sunday 
I think that would be an excellent idea. In late November, we have the United Nations Day for the Elimination of Violence Against Women. Um, and I know Natalie Collins, who's um, very articulate on subjects um, relating to gender justice, um, has been suggesting that we might have a Sexual Justice Sunday around that time. I think that would be a brilliant idea, and I'd wholly endorse that. But let's not leave it to one Sunday a year. Let's make sure that the victims of these abuses never feel marginalised and closed down. Helen, many thanks to you for both your contributions to this series and thank you again to my other guests, Katie Edwards, Shoshana Boyd-Gelfand, Mary Evans, Johanna Stiebert and Meredith Warren. Enjoy is perhaps not quite the right word, but I hope that these interviews have given you plenty to think about and perhaps share with others. I'm Rosie Dawson and that was Bible Society's She Too podcast. <laughs>